Isaiah 59, uh, 1 through 21, so the entire chapter here of Isaiah 59 is what we'll be focused on this morning in our, our message here from God's Word. Next week we'll, we'll continue into uh, Isaiah 60 and read just the first five verses there of Isaiah 60 for our, our Easter message. But it's Palm Sunday, and so we're going to focus on the coming of the Redeemer. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repaying repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands who will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream with the wind of the Lord, uh, with the wind of the Lord drives. I'm sorry, which the wind of the Lord drives. And the Redeemer will come to Zion 
to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us pray. Our Father in heaven, now as we have heard your word here from Isaiah 59, I pray for your Spirit's work, that your Spirit would come, that your Spirit would implant your word deep into our hearts, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see and recognize our great need for the Redeemer that you have sent, that there is no hope in anything we can do to save ourselves from our sinful condition. But it is in you. So may we look to you now and forever. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday on April 17th. And it'll also be the 18th wedding anniversary for my wife and me. It's actually the first time that that's ever happened in our marriage where Easter has fallen on our anniversary. So you all know what we were doing 18 years ago this week. We're busily getting ready for a wedding uh, along with our families. Uh, Greta had just finished up her last pharmacy rotation before she would graduate, and I was in the middle of my third semester of seminary. Um, that's what we were doing back in the spring of 2004. And at the same time, Pastor Ray Ortland, who was serving in a church in Nashville, was preaching through the book of Isaiah. And one of those sermons from 18 years ago, uh, Pastor Ray shared an email that he had received from one of his church members. And I was doing some reading in, in Isaiah um, and in his book uh, this week, and I found this email and thought it was just striking to hear just how similar our current situation is today to what it was then. All we have to do is just change a couple of the, de of the details, and it's like this email could have easily been written by one of you this past week. So here's the email that... Uh, one of his members wrote to him back in 2004. It says, In the last week or so, I have not wanted to turn on the television news or read every article in the paper as I usually do. The world is too ugly and disturbing. Humiliation over the prisoner abuse in Iraq. Fear of the future as we deal with terrorists who openly behead an American for broadcast viewing. Solicitations for pornography constantly in our inboxes. Upside-down morality that elevates tolerance above all else. And then I look in my own heart and see the materialism and criticism and lust. All of this to say, I can't imagine I am the only one who is particularly struck by the darkness and depravity of our world. We can easily feel so helpless about the world we live in and the future we face. 
as I said, all we'd have to do is just replace some of the details of that email with things like two years of dealing with COVID, intense political division in our nation, dysfunctional schools, and the unspeakable atrocities of the war in Ukraine. The darkness and depravity of our world are still pretty evident. And if we would look at our own hearts, we would also find that darkness and depravity live far too comfortably in here as well, to our shame. Not much has changed in 18 years. And when we look again at our passage from the prophet Isaiah, we'd sadly find that not much has changed in the last 3,000 years, except for one major event. That is, God himself came into our world as one of us in order to redeem his people. The life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest event that has ever taken place in our world. It changed everything about our situation and will fill all of us with hope to face the darkness and depravity of our world as well as of our hearts. The Lord Jesus was God's great answer for our depravity, and we see all of that laid out in what Isaiah has said here in Isaiah 59. Our main theme for this passage is, sadly, our world shows clear signs of our depravity, but God mercifully stepped in to save his people. God has done something about it. God has mercifully stepped in to save his people. So we have jumped right in to the middle of a section towards the end of the book of Isaiah. Uh, this morning, the section runs from Isaiah 56 through Isaiah 60, and the theme of this section is how God will renew his people from wicked to righteous, from darkness to light. That is God's business. That is his great work for the world, restoration, renewal, rebirth, and redemption. There is a theme of justice in these chapters. You heard that as I read chapter 59. There is a lack of justice among God's people here, and, and therefore, as God had warned, he is going to bring judgment on them by the way of the Babylonians. The people were under the threat of invasion, and they knew it. In chapter 58, we see the people fasting, uh, going through the motions of this religious dedication to God, and the people question God in Isaiah 58, verse 3. As they're, you know, in the midst of doing this, all this fasting before the Lord, they say, why have we fasted? Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They felt like they were really making these great sacrifices and showing their devotion to the Lord, but that their situation with their enemies to the east, the Babylonians, had not changed. They were still under threat. God had not acted. God had not done anything to save them. They're wondering what's going on. Well, the Lord answers their complaint in the rest of chapter 40, uh, 58, saying they may have been fasting, but they had ignored God's call on them to do justice, to love their neighbor, 
to obey his word. And then in chapter 59, the Lord continues his response to that complaint, saying it's because of their sin and depravity that they have separated themselves from God, that, the, that their sin has made a complete mess of their personal lives and their world. So, so something must be done. Something must be done if they are to receive God's help. Something must be done about their sin if they are to be in fellowship with God. So that's uh, what we get into now, verses 1 through 8, the first section of our chapter. Our sin separates us from God and poisons all of life. Our sin separates us from God and poisons all of life. So in these verses, verses 1 through 8, there is uh, a, a, a progression, and you see that actually throughout the whole chapter, there's this progression um, in this chapter, the passage begins with the declaration um, that uh, God, uh, again, in response to their question, why, haven't he, he, why hasn't God done anything? We've been fasting all this time. It doesn't look like you've been noticing that. And the Lord says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. The Lord wants the people to know that the problem is not with him. The problem is not with, with the Lord. That is what they were implying in the previous chapter. Here they were doing all these good things, you know, fasting, making religious sacrifices, and yet they felt as if the Lord didn't even notice. They figured the problem must be with, with him. That maybe he, he isn't able to see them. Maybe he's not able to hear their prayers. Maybe he just isn't able to help them. That his arm is too short to reach them, to do anything about their situation. It seemed to the people that God may not be able to save them from their enemies. That's often our response too, isn't it? When something just isn't going right for us, whether it's at work or school, if our marriage just seems to be struggling with misunderstandings or lack of attention, if we are having a hard time with, with tension in a relationship with someone else, or if things don't seem to be going the way we would like them to go in our lives, our initial response is so often to look for the problem outside of us. To blame someone else. Maybe even to blame God. But the Lord is gracious. The Lord is both gracious and honest with us. When we are deceiving ourselves, he speaks the truth to us in love through his word or through his messengers to inform us that we ought to be taking a look in the mirror rather than pointing the finger at him or at others. So look at verses 2 and 3 for how the Lord presents us with our greatest problem. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. I count nine times that the Lord addresses us with you, your, you, your, in those two verses. He's not afraid to make this personal. 
He is saying, if you are not experiencing the help you believe you need from the Lord, if you don't have peace in your heart or in your relationships with others, or if you just keep going back to the things that you believe uh, drag you down, if you feel discouraged and can't seem to get over the hump, then take a look at yourself. Consider how your sins have made a separation between you and God. If you have turned your back on God and his ways, and you are living your life for your own selfish purposes, well then don't expect his blessing. If you, if, if you don't reject and repent of your sin, then don't expect your situation to change. God is not the one who turned his back on you. You turn your back on him. God is not the one who quit listening to your prayers. You've refused to listen to him. God has not hidden his face from you. Your sins have brought on the darkness in your heart that has kept you from seeing him. That's what he's saying here. And then notice how, how our, our personal sin does not just stay with us. It does not only poison our relationship with God, it spreads to other relationships as well with others. Uh, it affects our entire community. The Lord, as the Lord moves from the second person here to the third person pronouns in our passage, from you to, to they. It's not just the single individuals who are the ones who have caused this problem. No sin uh, is a problem that affects everyone. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul is making the argument that sin is not just a problem with, for the Gentiles, those outside of uh, the covenant, who did not have the benefit of growing up with the word of God as their teacher. But he says that in that chapter, all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul uh, came to that conclusion by studying what uh, God said here through the prophet Isaiah to the Jews. He, he quotes verses 7 and 8 in Romans 3 to prove his argument there. So look at verses 7 and 8. Their feet run to evil as they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. The Lord's not saying that all everyone ever does is evil, that people are as bad as they could possibly be. You know, thankfully, we, we know that that's not the case. But what he is saying is that our sin affects everything we do. It affects all of our relationships with each other, even our, our closest, most loving relationships. And you know that to be true. We may not mind so much, you know, lying or, or sinning against certain people that we could care less about, but in fact, we can't even keep ourselves from sinning, from hurting our spouses, uh, our children, our parents, our good friends. When we've had a bad day, how quickly we lose our patience with our kids. When we are upset about something that happened at work, how easily do we decide to get angry at our spouse? If we feel like you know, we've been slighted by someone at church, how easily then do we forget 
to keep that prayer request that they shared in confidence with us to ourselves. Friends, our, our, our sin, your sin, my sin, has put all of us in a bad way. Our sinful actions just breed more and more sinful actions. That's the point of verses 5 and 6 here. And it separates us from the one that we were created to be in relationship with. It keeps us from God's blessing. It keeps us from God's power, from God's help. If we remain in our sin, we will forever suffer under his condemnation and punishment in hell, forever separated from him. So something must be done. Something must be done about it. Now look at verses 9 through 15. We must acknowledge and own up to our sin and guilt before God. There is another transition here that takes place at verse 9. After the first eight verses of accusation uh, for the sin of the people, now Isaiah shares a response of confession for sin. Now the pronouns are in the first person plural, indicating that Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is joining in this confession of sin before the Lord. So look at verse, verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and we hold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So notice how the confession admits just how sin affects us personally here. It provides us with strong images that we ought to keep in our minds. First of all, we see our inability to do what is just and right when we have separated ourselves from God there in verses 9. Therefore, justice is far from us. When we are separated from God because we are too busy pursuing sin, we will not have any spiritual strength. We will not have any help from God to do what is just and right. We can't be righteous without God. As Romans 8, 7 says, for the mind that is set on the flesh, that is on our sin, our sinful nature, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it says in God's word, it cannot. It cannot submit to God's law. It cannot do what is right. Righteous behavior is far from us if we are separated from God. And so is the light. The light that is supposed to shine out of us to the world to call others to glorify God. Instead, there is darkness, it says. Darkness in our hearts. Darkness in our deeds. If our hearts are ruled by our sin, the only place we, that we will lead anyone is into the darkness along with us. Verse 10 really stood out to me this week when I was studying this passage. 
Here in verse 10 is a striking image of our sin, of us in our sin, having rejected God's help and guidance. You know something that, that, that made the news recently was a telling example of what's being described here in this verse, I believe. A few weeks ago at the Academy of Motion Pictures uh, Awards a ceremony, otherwise known as the Oscars, uh, you may have heard that something happened uh, in that uh, program. Um, still on, on many uh, news feeds even today, still talking about it. Um, if you haven't yet heard, uh, the host of the award show, uh, comedian Chris Rock, made a joke poking fun at a famous actress who is bald. Uh, and she struggles with uh, hair loss because she suffers from a certain uh, medical condition. And uh, her husband, who's also a famous actor, Will, Will Smith, um, who also actually won the Oscar for Best Actor later on in the show, in response to the joke about his wife, walked up on the stage, confronted the comedian before everyone, uh, as the cameras were rolling during the show, and slapped him across the face. And later in the show, after he won the Academy Award for Best Actor, Will Smith seemed to confess that he did what he did out of love for his wife, defending her honor. And what was so interesting about the whole thing was that the Hollywood elites and the elites in our media just really had no idea how they ought to respond to what happened. Some, some were appalled that, that Smith would you know, resort to violence in response to a simple joke. Uh, the saying of violence is always wrong and evil. We're, we're, we're not for violence. Violence is, 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 is terrible. But then others, of course, were appalled at the joke that was told about a woman um, who suffers from a medical condition that causes her hair loss. How can you make fun of that? How can you poke fun at that? How can you do that to her? And some seemed happy to have Will Smith, her husband, actually do something about it. But then, of course, others were appalled that, that any man would ever think that it was their responsibility to stand up to defend the honor of his wife and accusing Will Smith of toxic masculinity. And so you could just sense you know, the, the confusion that was going on here. They didn't know who they were supposed to condemn, right? Supposed to condemn somebody, but who, who, who? Who's wrong here? Who's got the moral high ground? They had a hard time figuring that out. They, they still do. And friends, people that produce, promote, and broadcast immorality for their career were all of a sudden having a real difficult time identifying what was really moral and what was really immoral. So what's happening in our culture today? We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor, that is, in those who, who, are, who, are, who are supposed to be well alive, but we are like dead men. It's next to impossible to display the light of morality when you are dead, blind, and in the darkness. So why is there so much conflict in our country today? Why do people hate each other 
on different sides of the political aisle? Why is there such vitriol on social media at a school board meeting or even in the halls of Congress between people? Why is it? Well, it's because our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words, and justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Our great problem is our own sin, your sin and my sin, our transgressions and our iniquities, and we are shown the first step we need to take here is in order to do something about it. That is, we need to acknowledge it. Acknowledge our sin. We must confess our sins. We must admit that we are in the wrong, that we are the ones who are immoral, that we have loved the darkness rather than the light because our works were evil. Nothing will change unless we first recognize that we have fallen, that we are in the wrong, that we have done what is evil and wicked, and that we desperately need God to have mercy and save us. Have you made such a confession? Have you owned up to your sins? Is this something that you do regularly? Whenever you're made aware, whenever you know, whenever you're under conviction, that you have sinned against God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Truth is lacking. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord then saves his people by himself. This is the last section here. Second half of verse 15 through 21. The Lord saves his people by himself. We are told initially here that the Lord sees. The Lord sees. He is paying attention. And how often do we consider that? Does that reality that we live each day, each moment, before the face of God, does that reality come into your mind at all when you're going about your day? He sees what is done behind closed doors. And notice also that he cares. He cares about it. All our ways are known to him and he cares. The Lord saw it, he says in verse 15, second half there. The Lord saw and it displeased him. It displeased him that there was no justice. The Lord sees and, and he cares. He is displeased that our sin has brought about no righteousness, no justice in our families, in our communities, in our world. He is righteous. And therefore it displeases him that there is no justice, that it seems hardly anyone truly cares about righteousness. It displeases him. He is incensed about that. 
and he also saw that, that we could do nothing about it. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man, there was no one to intercede on our behalf. That is what God saw. But it's so often not what, what, what we believe. We believe we can do something about this. We can do something about our situation. We believe that it is up to us. It's up to us to get things straightened out. So what do we do? We get religious, right? We really get serious about doing the right thing. Going to church. Going to read, read our Bibles. We're going to give more money to those in need. We're going to do these good things. That will help us. That will bring us up to God. That will make us feel better about ourselves. But it gains us nothing. Nothing. For we're still, we're still blind. We're still groping around in the darkness. There's no man who can make himself righteous in God's sight when we are covered with sin. Can a leopard remove his spots, the Bible says? Can a man change the color of his skin? Well, then neither can we change our sinful condition on our own. We are still enslaved. There was no man, there was no one to intercede on our behalf. The Lord saw this. So what did he do about it? Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The Lord took action. The Lord sent his son. The Lord sent in the Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he rescued sinners. He did exactly what his name means. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. Do you know that the Hebrew word there that's translated salvation, the Hebrew word there is pronounced Yeshua. Yeshua. When the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream after he found out that his betrothed wife Mary was pregnant, the angel spoke to Joseph in the Hebrew tongue so that he could understand it. And he told him to name the boy Yeshua. Name him Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means salvation. Our greatest problem was our sin. Separating us from God, making a disaster of everything. And God sent his son, salvation, to us. Today is Palm Sunday, the day we remember the Lord Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem on the first day of the week. Jerusalem was on Mount Zion. On the first day of the week, the week that he was slain for our sins, for us and for our salvation, and Isaiah predicts that coming here in verse 20, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Christians throughout the world this morning are, are thinking about and worshiping the one who came to Zion, who came to Jerusalem, riding on that donkey's colt, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Salvation came 
our Redeemer, the one who set his people free. In ancient Israel, a Redeemer was a member of the family who shouldered a relative's great need as if it were his own. That's a Redeemer. In uh, the book of Leviticus, we, we, we were told there that if an Israelite got into so much debt and had to sell himself into slavery in order to pay off his debt, a, a kinsman redeemer, that is a, a relative family member redeemer, would come and redeem his family member. He would pay his way out of slavery. And that's an image for us of what Christ did for every one of his people who have sinned their way into slavery. He is our Redeemer. He came to pay the price that we could not pay. He came to, to shoulder our responsibility. He came to set us free from the debt of righteousness that we owed God. He paid the price of our guilt and sin with his life. He is our Yeshua. He is our salvation. John Calvin uh, the great reformer said, in God alone is there sufficient power for accomplishing our salvation. That we may not look hither and thither, for we are too much disposed to lean on external aids, but we ought to place the hope of salvation nowhere else than on the arm of God. And that the foundation of the church is in his righteousness. But we'd be remiss if we didn't notice how Isaiah describes those whom the Redeemer came to save there in verse 20. Look back at verse 20. What are the Lord's redeemed people known for here? And a Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob, that's in Israel, God's chosen people, who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. It doesn't say that the Redeemer came for those in Jacob who have accepted him as Savior. It doesn't say that he came for those who were baptized into his name or for those who, who asked him into their hearts. Here it says that the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in God's elect people who turn from transgression. That is, those who turn from their sins to those who truly repent, to those who have recognized they have no righteousness in themselves and so cry out to Jesus to forgive their sins and cover them with his righteousness. So again, is that, is that something that you have recognized? Are you known for your repentance? for turning from your transgressions. They've turned away from sin and are continually turning away from it whenever you fall into it again. When, when, when Christ saves a man, the, the, the sinner opens his hands to grasp hold of Christ by faith and in so doing, lets go of his sins. When one turns to follow Christ, he also turns away from his sins. So friends, if there is anything that this chapter has shown you, it is how disastrous our sin is. How living without God is disastrous. 
and also shows us how great a Savior Christ is. Cast your sin aside and take hold of Christ by faith. Your salvation. Grasp hold of him by faith and experience freedom and forgiveness in him. Jesus is God's great answer for our sin, for the depravity of the world and the the depravity in our own hearts. This Easter week, be sure that he is your redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you. You did not leave us in our sin and depravity. You sent a redeemer. Oh, how we need him. And oh, how we need your help day by day to turn from our sin and to look to Christ for our forgiveness, for our righteousness. Help us, O Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.